I think we should uh, come to Taiwan's aid, not because we care so much about Taiwan in and of itself, but because we can't allow the Chinese to control the Pacific. It is November 24th, and welcome to a special NSI podcast episode. I'm Jamil Jaffer, founder and executive director of the National Security Institute. And today I'm joined by Dimitri Alperovich, co-founder and executive chairman of the Silverado Policy Accelerator, for a debate on a very timely topic, whether to deter an invasion of Taiwan, the U.S. must defend Ukraine. This debate comes amongst the backdrop of continued escalation on the Ukrainian border, as the United States considers providing additional military guidance and equipment to Ukraine, and as Russia continues to amass troops at that border. I'll be arguing the proposition that yes, the U.S. must defend Ukraine in order to turn invasion, and Dimitri will take the opposite position. If you like what you hear, by the way, there's likely to be more. Today's episode is a teaser episode for an exciting new type of debate series that we may lead off between the National Security Institute and the Silverado Policy Accelerator. So if you like what you hear, rate, review, the whole thing, push it out to your audience. Um, and, and we'll see if we kick one of these off in a more serious fashion. In the upcoming weeks, the new show might even feature Dimitri and me arguing about the hottest topics in national security, technology, and the like in a fast-paced, no-holds-barred format. So we hope you'll continue to tune in. And like I said, rate, review, and the like. So with that, Dimitri, welcome to this, and uh, let's roll right into it. So look, Dimitri, look, uh, here's what's going on, right? Russia's building up a ton of borders, at the, a ton of troops at the borders of Ukraine. We've seen this show before, uh, back in 2014, when they, uh, when the Russians came across the border, annexed Crimea, and now and now virtually own it for all intents and purposes, although we haven't recognized our sovereignty over that uh, portion of Ukraine as yet. Um, how could you possibly disagree that what happens in Eastern Europe and our standing up to Russian aggression there has no impact whatsoever on whether China believes we'll stand up and defend Taiwan. Well, let's start with a few things. Let's start with the fact first that we have a Taiwan Relations Act, which even though it's slightly ambiguous, really is an indication that the U.S. has a close relationship with Taiwan uh, from a military perspective and is highly interested in defending Taiwan and keeping it from being, in fact, it is U.S. policy to keep it from being taken over by force. We do not have a Ukraine Relations Act. And uh, when you step back and look at the broader geopolitical concerns, the interests that we have in Taiwan from an economic perspective, the fact that so many of our semiconductors, which are so critical to our economic and technological interests, come from Taiwan. The fact that um, if China takes Taiwan, perhaps most importantly, they'll be able to control the Western Pacific. They'll be able to project their power beyond the first island chain. They'll be able to threaten Japan. They'll be able to threaten the Philippines, potentially even threaten Australia down the line. They'll be able to shut down our aircraft carriers with their um, uh, ballistic missiles, because now they'll be able to locate them by putting sensors uh, uh, on the deep ocean side of the first island chain. So there's numerous reasons why we would want to defend Taiwan. And China knows that, frankly, because that is the reason they haven't yet launched an invasion of Taiwan, because they worry about our ability to interfere and come in and stop that invasion. Um, if, if they were certain that we would not come to Taiwan's aid, I guarantee you they would roll, already roll over that island because they know, and the Taiwanese are very transparent about it, that they cannot hold on on their own. So, so our interests are well, very, very different. Well, look, I mean, I, I, who could doubt? Who could doubt that our interests are much more uh, engaged in the Taiwan-China uh, issue for all the reasons you laid out, right? The technology, the semiconductors, the strategic position of China, the fact that China's our major competitor for the next two decades, three decades, maybe even, right? Nobody can doubt what you're saying is true, but that doesn't change the fact that nations pay attention to what other nations do in, in, in other contexts. And the fact of the matter is that when we, when President Obama failed miserably on the Syria red line, set the red line about chemical weapons, 
and then allowed it to be crossed and didn't impose any consequences. In fact, got into a deal with the Russians. It led to very, just a few months later, Russia invading Crimea and doing it without any consequences, virtually any. Yes, some sanctions that I worked to put in place when I was the chief counsel at the Senate Foreign Relations Committee uh, on behalf of Senator Bob Corcoran and Senator Bob Menendez, right? But but don't forget that, that China was watching that too. And just a few months later, they started aggressively building the islands of the South China Sea again with no consequences. What happens in one part of the world, Dimitri, has an impact on the other part of the world. No doubt Taiwan is more important, but that's all the more reason why we've got to show up. We'll show, we got to demonstrate that we'll show up not just for Taiwan, but for our friends in Ukraine and like the way we failed to do in Syria, the way we failed to do in Crimea, and the way we failed to do in the South China Sea. If we keep failing, all of our enemies will go up against us and push the envelope. And that's actually why we should we should do this, not because it matters more or less than Taiwan. Here we go. You're basically arguing, Jamil. Uh, for the Cold War domino theory, that we have to defend Vietnam, otherwise the whole Southeast Asia will turn communist. And of course, that's not true. It wasn't true during the Cold War. It actually hasn't been true in the entire history of America. Our entire history- Except for as I just laid out, right? Except for I just laid out. Our entire history of foreign policy, give me a second, has been one of letting our allies down, right? We let down the Cuba uh, during the, the, the Fidel Castro takeover. We uh, let down Somalia, Sudan, uh, we let down in the Suez, the Brits and, and, the, and the Israelis and the French, the Falklands, uh, for God's sakes. Uh, the, the, the UK was really upset that uh, Ronald Reagan, of all uh, people, did not want to provide support to the UK in that conflict with Argentina. How many times have we screwed over the Kurds just in the last decade? Right. We continuously let our allies down in areas that are frankly not of strategic interest to us. But it does not mean that when it is in our strategic interest, our adversaries are not afraid of what we might do because they know that this is really, really important to us. And, and we, we see that time and time again, that even though we're unpredictable, even though we're unreliable, um, people are still concerned because we are the f- uh, most formidable military power out there. And when it really matters to us, we can roll over most countries and, 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 and cause them tremendous pain. And here's the fundamental problem about Ukraine. Um, let, let, let's dive into that for a second. Ukraine matters to Russia way, way more than it matters to us. It is an existential issue for Russia because when you look at the distance from Moscow to the nearest border in Ukraine, it's 300 miles. Can you imagine having a Russian base 300 miles away from Washington, D.C.? How we would feel about that? It would be unacceptable. It would be an existential threat to us. That's how Russians um, and Vladimir Putin, but, but really any Russian leader, even if it were democratically elected and, and legitimate sort of rule of Russia uh, is not suppressing the opposition and the human rights, uh, would not tolerate that because it would be an existential threat to, to, to Russia. And in fact, uh, hundreds of years of history, Russian history show that uh, invasions from Europe, whether it's the Nazis, whether it's the French with Napoleon, whether it's uh, the Polish, whether it's the Swedes, have all come through either Belarus or Ukraine. Um, that major area, uh, the plains um, that, that lead to Moscow. And uh, Russia, um, because of that history, is very insecure about that. And they're just never going to let Ukraine join NATO. And, and one of the things that we forget is how often our own actions cause a response from the adversaries. Why are we so surprised that there is a huge buildup of Russian troops in Ukraine and Russia may or may not invade Ukraine? When only four weeks ago, you had Secretary of Defense Austin, Lloyd Austin, visiting Kiev and saying, we would be supportive of Kiev joining NATO. He might as well have thrown the red um, cloth at the bull 
because something like that is never going to be acceptable to Russia. Russia will invade and will fight to the death uh, to prevent the scenario like that from happening. And um, it, it actually matters zero to us whether Ukraine is or is not in NATO. And, and why we keep provoking Russia with a statement like that is beyond me. Dmitry, this idea somehow that just because a country used to be part of the former Commonwealth of Independent, independent States or the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics means they're completely off limits to the West and, are, and should not ever be touched is ridiculous, right? Let's be clear. Ukraine is a sovereign country. Until Russia is ready to respect the sovereignty of the borders around its perimeter, you're damn right the United States should can, will, and should stand up for the democracies that surround that country every time. Just like we stood up for Poland, and just like we always should stand up. And by the way, Dimitri, this idea that the U.S. gets away with, you know, not being friends to our allies or not being strong adversaries, every time we've done that, we've gotten into more trouble, right? When we didn't stand up for our allies in World War I, what happened? World War I, we got dragged in. We didn't stand up for our allies in World War II, we got dragged in. Every time the U.S. whiffs, worse things happen. The world becomes more chaotic. It, that is on us. It happened in Syria. We set a red line. Nobody made us do that. We set it. When the world watched and saw, we were unwilling to even stand up to a tin pot dictator like Bashar Assad and let the Russians have, have at it, right? And simply let them take advantage of us there with a fake deal on chemical weapons. What happened? Right. Well, I don't actually we, disagree with you on the Syrian. I don't disagree with you, Jamil, on the Syria red line. The problem is that our rhetoric is often far ahead of what we're willing to do. And Syria red line was a perfect example of that. We should not be talking uh, about uh, Syrian red lines or defending Ukrainian sovereignty and territorial integrity if we don't mean it. And we clearly don't because I don't think uh, on either side of the aisle, Republicans or Democrats are willing to send American soldiers to die for Ukraine. And guess who is willing to do that? Russians, because they but view it as an existential threat. But that doesn't change the fact that they're violating the sovereignty of another nation, a nation that prefers to ally with us than Russia. The reason Russia is upset about NATO and about Ukraine has nothing to do with the fact that we made an announcement. It, that wasn't true back in 2014, right? What The whole reason they're upset is because it's part of their old power structure. And let's be clear, Vladimir Putin is just an unresolved Soviet apparatchik who's just back in power and wants to reestablish the Soviet Union. And until we say that is not going to happen, you should, if you didn't want to keep it, you should have kept it. When it all fell apart, too bad. Now they're sovereign countries. You can't just run around invading other countries. And if you do, you're going to pay a price for it. And the fact is the Ukrainians can't defend themselves. If we don't defend them and we don't help protect them, we don't give them the weapons, who will? If not us, who? If not now, when? We didn't do it in 2014. We saw what happened. We're going to let it happen again? Okay. Then I that all the spillover effects, including Taiwan, will be on your and the Biden administration's shoulders. That's on you. So I don't actually believe that Putin wants to recreate the Soviet Union. I think he wants to recreate the Soviet Union's sphere of influence. So certainly he wants the former republics. Baltics aside, I think Russians accept that the Baltics are gone forever. And, and they were only part of the Soviet Union for a relatively short period of time post-World War II. But the rest of the republics, Belarus, Ukraine, Kazakhstan, etc. No, they want to be influential. I don't think they want to own it because they don't want Ukraine is an economic basket case. The last thing they want is, is to take care of it. And they know that the population is pretty antagonistic towards Russia. So they may have an insurgency on their hands that they don't actually want to fight. But they certainly want to prevent Ukraine from joining NATO. And, and this thing about sovereignty, you don't actually mean that, Jamil, because when the shoe is on the other foot, we couldn't care less about sovereignty of other nations. 
when Cuba decided to allow the Soviet Union to place ballistic missiles, nuclear armed ballistic missiles on their territory as it was their sovereign right, what do we do? We instituted a blockade of Cuba, which, by the way, is an act of war, to prevent that because we felt that that was threatening to us and we are not going to let that happen. Russia views Ukraine just like we viewed Cuba back then, that they don't want this unsinkable carrier um, that is a NATO-supported country on their border that is 300 miles away from Moscow, just like we didn't want an unsinkable carrier in Cuba being uh, an outpost of the Soviet Union with nuclear arms. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Nobody's talking about putting nuclear weapons in Ukraine. Let's be serious, right? You're totally expanding well beyond what we've ever talked about. A partnership for peace country, potentially becoming part of NATO, has nothing to do with basing rights, has nothing to do with nuclear weapons. That idea is a complete farce. And so the idea that you're sort of... Well, hold hold on. It's not just partnership for peace. if, If we were talking about Americans putting Minuteman missiles in Ukraine, then you'd have an argument. That's not what was happening. Cuba has long been under Soviet influence, right? Russian influence today, right? Soviet influence before that. It was not until they started putting nuclear, they started, by the way, building nuclear weapon sites and surface air missiles to defend them before we got upset. And when they pulled those weapons out, back we were back to normalcy. Yes, we tried to remove Castro, all that sort of stuff, right? No doubt that all happened. But this idea somehow that, that, that just them being in the sphere of influence was enough, that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about NATO membership. We're talking about expanding yeah. partnership. And what what does NATO membership mean? To Russia, it means, it means rights? NATO troops, NATO troops on their borders, and uh, as as they are in, in the Baltics today, as they are in Poland, as they are in Czech Republic, and, and they they find that unacceptable. By the way, how would you feel, Jamil, if if Mexico said to the Russians, "Hey, why don't you build a military base in Tijuana?" Would we accept that? Mexico is a sovereign country; they can decide to do that, right? We'd be very upset. But we wouldn't be talking about invading Mexico. That's the problem, right, Dimitri? We'd be upset. We'd leverage our power. We'd yell about it. We'd be upset. We'd threaten the Mexicans with cutting Oh, I think we'd do more than that. Do more than that. Oh, you think we'd invade? We would go across the border and simply add. Just let's just add Mexico to Texas. Great. Are I mean, are you serious? There's, there's no. We, we have never done that in our history. But maybe we're going to start now, right? Maybe we're going to start invading sovereign countries to our borders when the Soviet Soviet. Did we invade Cuba? I don't remember well, we, invading we, Cuba. We did. I, I mean, Texas, New Mexico, California used to be part of Mexico, right? So uh, let, let's, I mean, uh, let's be honest about that. But um, if, we wanna, is, if we want to go ahead, well, I want to harken back to that. We're talking about the, re- the reasons why. You're talking about another power, right? Establishing relations. And again, let's be clear nobody's talking about basing rights, and nobody's talking about troops, nobody's talking about nuclear weapons. Yet those are all the specters you've raised. Right? Oh, and by the way, Russia is already surrounded by nations that are a partnership for peace countries. Right. So if we were going to cross that bridge, if, we, if that was all about invasions, why haven't we seen 50 invasions? They're taking advantage of a situation they, they think they can leverage because they don't think this administration, just like the administration before it and the administration before that, will really defend Ukraine. The real question on the table is not at all the, the former Soviet republics or NATO troops or nuclear weapons, this is about credibility. They didn't believe Barack Obama, and they were right. They don't believe Donald Trump when it came to the Middle East, and they were right. And now they're, seeing, they're trying to see whether Joe Biden is serious, just like the Chinese are, and the question is, will they be right? But by that logic, table. Jamil, they didn't believe George W. Bush either because they invaded Georgia on his watch, and he did nothing. And they were right. 
And that was a mistake. I think everyone sees George was a mistake. I think if you ask President Bush, he would tell you George was a mistake. And if you tell President Obama, he would say Syria was a mistake. Well, maybe not. He seems to still think Syria was a win for him. I think everyone, all the rest of the planet would tell you Syria, tell you Syria was a mistake, right? And so I guess what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to ask you, Dimitri, is having seen the history of these mistakes, why would we repeat them again? Why would we repeat the mistake of Georgia, the mistake of Syria, the mistake of Crimea, the mistake? Why repeat it? Because those countries, and, and listen, I want them to be democratic. I want them to be able to have independence from Russia and be able to chart their own destiny. But the reality is that we don't have the resources as Americans to defend them, that we are not willing, political resources for sure, to send troops to die for Ukraine. And that's clear. Over the last four administrations, Republicans and Democrats have not been willing to fight for countries that are not treaty allies, where we don't have core strategic interests like we do in Taiwan, uh, because the American people would not tolerate it, not, not after you know, the wars of Iraq and, and Afghanistan, and we know how they ended. And here's the reality on supplying weapons to Ukraine. Let's be very realistic. Russia can roll over Ukraine tomorrow if it wants to. It has long-range fires on the borders. It had grad, grad rockets, 100,000 troops amassed on its borders. The entire Ukrainian army, the full military force, is about 255,000 people. Um, they have 1,200 tanks. They have 1,600 pieces of artillery. They can destroy all the air bases, all the multiple launch rocket systems, all the artillery, literally in the, in the first days of a conflict in Ukraine, and roll over them. And giving them stinger missiles, giving them javelins, is not going to stop that. And in fact, if you listen to the Kremlin, if you listen to Peskov, the Putin's press secretary, they're saying that delivery of arms to Ukraine, uh, delivery of Turkish dr- uh, drones to Ukraine that they're using against Donbass is what's provoking this, that they view oh. the power, power balance shifting between Donbass and, and between Kiev, and that they are willing to intervene and make sure that that doesn't happen because they want to keep influence in eastern Ukraine. And our ability to supply arms is not going to change that dynamic and is only going to escalate it and probably provoke an invasion. And we're certainly not willing to stand up for Ukraine. I mean, the last thing we need is to sacrifice another country um, that we're going to make promises to, like we did with the Syrian red line that you correctly mentioned, and then stab them in the back by not actually supporting them when Russian tanks do roll over across the border. And yet again, we're just changing the terms of debate. Nobody's talked about putting American troops in Ukraine, right, other than for military advising or training. Nobody's talking about American troops fighting on the front lines. That's never been a topic of debate. So let's not pretend like that's what's at stake here, right? And Jamil, if you're not willing to do that, let's be honest, Russia will control Ukraine because we'll not be able to defend it. So unless we're willing to put American troops around the globe, wherever we have partners, right, we shouldn't give them anything. No weapons, no no military support. It's not our sphere of influence unless we're willing to put troops into those countries on the front lines to defend them. That's ridiculous. That is not, that's not been true of any American involvement in the history of this country. We are more than willing and have plenty of times pushed back aggressors by providing, by providing other resources to those countries and made them more effective, right? Our fight against ISIS is a great example of where American advisors helped win that conflict. Yes, we threw the Kurds under the bus under President Donald Trump. That was a mistake, right? But was, did it work? It absolutely did. We did it in Afghanistan with the Soviets, right? We know how to leverage capabilities and the supplying of American weapons and, and advisors to effectuate a conflict with another rival. And sure, we're never going to save Ukraine from the Russians, but we can make it very costly. Making it costly may change the balance. Just like in Taiwan, we can't actually stop the Chinese from taking over Taiwan if they really wanted it. Right? We're not willing to take the cost it would take. Right? 
So we have to demonstrate that we're willing to do other things alongside that, right? And to the Taiwan Relations Act, the Taiwan Relations Act acts in tension with the American public position that Taiwan is part of China, right? And so we haven't conceded that, by the way, with respect to Russia, although presumably with your position, we should just concede that too. We should just have a one Russia policy. All the former Soviet republics are really yours. We might defend them. We might engage in some relations. We might give them something, but we're not gonna. We're not gonna. We're gonna accept that you own them. We're, we've never been willing to do that with respect to the Eastern European republics. In fact, the reason they're independent today and remain independent is because we haven't. The exact reason we're in this position with Taiwan was because of the mistake of the one China policy. And here we are today, now having to figure out, are we going to defend, are we not going to defend that nation that is so critical to our national security? So, so let, let, let me uh, first uh, try to find common ground between you and I. I'm glad that we agree that we should not be sending American troops to die for Ukraine. Um, I think most of the American public and, and most American uh, politicians on the right and the left would, would agree with that as well. And if that is uh, your starting position, as it, as it is mine, then... My view is that giving Ukrainians support, encouraging them to be more adversarial towards Russia versus finding ways to compromise with them is actually more likely to escalate the situation and more likely to create things, uh, a situation that, that is going to be a lot worse for them because no amount of support, no amount of military advisors or javelins or uh, MI helicopters, by the way, manufactured in Russia, is, is going to actually save them from a Russian invasion because fundamentally, the Russians view the threat of NATO on their borders, 300 way, miles away from Moscow, as existential, and they're going to be willing to fight for it, and they're going to be willing to die for it. And we're not. And, and by uh, encouraging falsely the Ukrainians to think that we've got their back when we really don't, we're actually creating, um, um, uh, the, making the conflict much more likely. In fact, you, you, you can read the statements coming out of the Kremlin. Putin is very, very clear. There is a reason why... The troops are on the border today and they weren't a year ago or two years ago or three years ago. They're looking at the fact that um, there's been uh, 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 deliveries of, of weapons to Ukraine, particularly from Turkey, that uh, uh, the Ukrainian government is becoming more belligerent and potentially, in their view, whether it's correct or not, trying to retake Donbass by force. And they will not allow that to happen. And we don't have Ukraine's back to defend them. Look, I mean, Dimitri, here's the thing. If we were to take your proposition at face value and just roll with it, anywhere the U.S. is not willing to put troops on the front lines, can't be a friend of the United States, can't receive weapons, because God forbid that may, may make some other country upset, well, then I guess we're not going to defend any ally unless they're a treaty ally where we have a mutual defense treaty. That's ridiculous. That's never been the policy of the United States. It should not be the policy of the United States because it limits dramatically. And as to the American people being willing to put troops in, the American people are willing to defend American interests when an American president is willing to step to the plate and say, we have strategic interests at stake here. This matters. The reason why America, the American people have been so weak-kneed when it comes to every part of the world is because we've had three presidents in a row who've been weak-kneed, who haven't had the guts to put American troops in. It has nothing to do with the American people. They are willing to be led by leaders who want to lead. They've elected leaders who don't want to lead, right? And so, so be it, right? Barack Obama was there, Donald Trump was there, and now Joe Biden is there, although he's going to be put to the test right now. And we'll see whether Joe Biden steps up and is the kind of leader that the American people want, deserve, and need, or whether he's going to let this one fall. And by the way, if he lets this one fall, the Chinese will watch that. And they'll recognize the U.S. is not willing to step up for its allies. And you know what the real reason to be treated that China hasn't come across the Taiwan Straits? has nothing to do with America being willing to defend Taiwan because we haven't been willing to really defend Taiwan, haven't put that on the line 
since the Trump administration, since the Obama administration. The reason why is they're afraid of being bled dry by a long-term guerrilla campaign. And until they feel like they can take that island at almost no cost internationally, which they're very close to, and at very little cost long-term, that they can take it rapidly and have no, and really put down, put down any, any, any rebellion, that's when they'll move. When it's in their best interest and they think they can move. But today, it's not fear of America. And unless we stand up for our friends and allies, it won't because of fear of America. I, I don't think that an insurgency campaign in Taiwan can work. Uh, when you look at the history of insurgency campaigns like Afghanistan, um, like Iraq, they only work when there is a supply of weapons, supply uh, of uh, food and other material from a neighboring country, i.e. Pakistan in the case of Afghanistan, Iran in the case of Iraq and, and Syria as well. That doesn't exist in Taiwan. They can squeeze them. They can roll uh, in with the P- PLA uh, forces and you know that they're going to be exceedingly brutal. They're going to execute anyone associated with the resistance, and they can roll over that country. The reason they don't do that is because they're afraid that we will come to Taiwan's aid. Um, and I think we will, and I think we should uh, come to Taiwan's aid, not because we care so much about Taiwan in and of itself, but because we can't allow the Chinese to control the Pacific. That would be devastating to the security of the United States. It would be devastating to our ability to trade with the region, have uh, supplies coming from that region. If we lose Japan, if we lose the Philippines, um, not to mention Australia, that would be absolutely catastrophic. And China would be in a position to threaten all of those countries if it takes Taiwan. That's ultimately why we have to fight for Taiwan and we have to put American troops um, in Taiwan, um, potentially to, de- to defend it and, and, and get it back from China. And that is a strategic case that the U- U.S. president, any president should make to the American people about why Taiwan is critical. That case does well, not exist in Ukraine. It did not exist in Iraq. It did not exist in Vietnam. It did not exist in Afghanistan. And American people have tired of fighting wars that are not strategic to our interests and having American, Americans bleed and die for countries that fundamentally do not matter to us. Well, look, Dimitri, at least we can agree on Taiwan. And at least we can agree that the American president ought to step up and make clear that we are going to defend that country as much as it takes. And it's interesting that you mocked my, what you called my view of the domino theory. I don't think it is a domino theory, but whatever. And yet you literally just espouse the domino theory in Southeast Asia and in the Indo-Pacific. So whatever, I get it. The, the deal changes when it's Russia and not China. And when it's Eastern Europe versus the Indo-Pacific, I got it. You're on the record. I'm on the record. It's been an awesome debate. Thank you for fighting this battle. Uh, we're gonna. If y'all like this, come back for more. We'll try not to step on each other's toes. I realize step on Dimitri's toes a little bit there. We'll try to keep it clean, and hopefully, if you all rate, review, and promote this thing, we'll be back again with the regular series between the National Security Institute and the Silverado Politics Center. Dimitri, awesome chat with you about this. Thank you, and happy Thanksgiving to everyone. Same to you.